What's up, guys? Welcome to the Establish the Edge podcast. I'm your host, Pat Corain. With me is my co-host, Mike Leone of EstablishTheRun.com. And we have a special guest this week, Evan Silva, one of the co-founders of Establish the Run. What's up, guys? What's up? Good to be with you guys. I've been listening to your guys' show. Um, love the tight end stuff that you guys have been talking about. Uh, DeAndre Washington just got called up from the Chiefs practice squad. And everybody listening to this, go pick them up. I mean, if you're into chasing Chiefs backups, um, because I am. Uh, Leone, it sounds like you're not. Who's no, not? I, I am. I okay. was just needling uh, Wiggins a little okay. bit because he's been asking about Darwin Thompson, Daryl Williams. And I was like, who knows what they're going to do? So I, I wouldn't waste too many roster spots on you know both those guys to try and handcuff CEH. But uh, thank you for the shout on the tight end stuff. No one spends as much time talking about uh, – unheralded tight ends as me and pat do on this podcast so. <laughs> yeah it's uh, it's been fun i'm hoping logan thomas can do something because we've talked about him too much and <laughs> never have a good game <laughs> call but, uh, Allen to the rescue man yeah oh, let's boy uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right th- this episode is going to be really fun we're doing a redraft of the uh 2020 rookie class so this is a dynasty focused show we're, we're drafting these rookies for dynasty as you would in, in a rookie draft. But uh, someone asked if this is redraft or dynasty on Twitter, it's dynasty, but we're re we're redrafting this class. Uh, a lot has changed in four weeks. So we thought it'd be fun to revisit this, uh, this really exciting rookie class. I mean, there's, there's like a lot of uh, really interesting players that are already starting to emerge. So uh, we're giving Evan the first pick as a guest here. Mike's going to go second and then I'll go third and we'll just kind of, go that way the entire time so i kind of just think we dive right into it right um yep. yeah evan let's kick us off here you got the 101 well i'm taking clyde edwards hilaire i think that there is a tier at the top uh with two players and i think that clyde edwards hilaire is the better bet clyde edwards hilaire i think you can maybe even argue that he's in a tier unto his own um, because of his passing game usage, because Patrick Mahomes is signed for the next 10 years, because, um, you know, Clyde Edwards Hilaire is going to be there for at least four years, if not the next five. Um, I think he is, you know, he's broken tackles at an, at an, at an incredible clip. Only Dalvin Cook among future running backs this season has more broken tackles. Uh, we saw the catchless opener, but then he's been really good uh, from a receiving standpoint. Uh, the past three weeks, I think he's been pretty much everything we expected. You know, the touchdowns haven't been there, but not not putting too much of a microscope on, um, you know, the first four games of a dude's career. Just trying to trying to zoom out um, and realizing what you have in Clyde Edwards-Helaire. I think that he's a buy low right now and season long. Um, if you can find somebody that's maybe a little frustrated and, and, and in dynasty, I think he's the clear one. Yeah, Pat and I were talking before the show and. It- it's like you don't want to put too much you're trying to figure out how much weight you should put on the first four weeks with player usage and whatnot because you're thinking about you know years in advance and dynasty and pat's talked about this a lot and you know you don't want to think too long term but uh you also you know you're not going to wait four weeks of usage when you're drafting the dynasty and uh i feel like i've gone back and forth when marlon mack first went out I was like, oh, JT's the 101 now. You know, he was athletic freak. He was everyone's favorite running back prospect. And now he's got no competition. And now the last two weeks, they've, you know, sort of been in a committee. And it's like, should that be affecting me? But ultimately, I think CEH is the 101 just because 
I've been surprised at how quickly they've given him a workhorse type role. I didn't expect that. I thought he was the one-on-one coming into the year expecting a split there. So when you give him the workhorse role and with JT, you see, you know, maybe they're not handing that to him. If the workloads are the same it's you know, give me the back that's tethered to Mahomes, and that's a really good pass catcher. So I agree with CH at the one-on-one. I will take Jonathan Taylor at the one-on-two though. Yeah, I think that just real quick on CEH, I mean, he's he set a, a high in snap count uh, and snap percentage this past week. So I think he's been kind of more than I expected, um, at least in terms of quickly establishing himself as just a, a workhorse, you know, getting just a huge percentage of the snaps compared to the other guys on the season. He has 68% of the snaps. So that's, uh, that's really exciting to see. And I think he not only has the tiebreaker in terms of offense, against Taylor, but he's got the tiebreaker in terms of the snap usage, which is Mike, that would be the concern, right? With Taylor is that he's not really, even after Mac went down, he's not established himself with the huge snap leader that, you, you know, we would have expected, I think, but yeah, which is really weird because we too, when Mac was out, we didn't see any Hines. We just saw Wilkins in garbage time and it looked like they were handing him the role, like huge workload and they've scaled back. And I sort of view it as, you know, JT's edge should be in the workload. So if he's not getting that edge in the workload, how do you go against the back who catches passes and plays with Patrick Mahomes? And as Evan said, with calling him a buy low in redraft, you know, the touchdowns are coming, you know, he had the one in the opener got stuffed on the goal line a bunch, you know, sometimes the the touchdowns ebb and flow in this KC offense, because there's so many guys, but everyone's going to get theirs by the end of the season. We're going to have some games for CEH that, you know, rep, that resemble what we saw with Damian Williams in that playoff run when he had huge fantasy games, the whole playoff run, because that's exactly the role that they're using CEH in, which is this super full-time role. Yeah. And with Taylor, you know, one of the concerns coming out of Wisconsin was that, he was not heavily involved in the passing game. Uh, his final year, he had, I think, 25 catches, but he had a bunch of drops. PFF uh, pointed that out, that he had a bunch of drops. And it, it seemed to – his th- that concern seemed to ease in week one when he had six for 67 in the passing game. But his receiving role has actually diminished each week so far. So that is still a concern for Jonathan Taylor. Might be a concern, you know, for the rest of, the, of his career potentially – um, you know, Nick Chubb was kind of similar in that we knew he was an elite rusher coming out, um, but he didn't catch a lot of passes in college, and that has followed him into the pros. E- even if we think that the guys are capable, um, very, so often I think uh, college receiving production for running backs is predictive uh, of what's going to happen to them in the NFL. I mean, the when the team drafts them, they don't see that on tape, and you know, they they use guys like Naheem Hines and, you know, Kareem Hunt. And, you know, even last year, with like Dontrell Hilliard a little bit. And, you know, they'll, 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 they will use guys in that receiving role and almost use that as a way to give, you know, a running back like Jonathan Taylor or Nick Chubb, like, rest during the game. Yeah, and that kind of happened to Mac, where he was, I think, a capable receiver, but was not used like that at all um, under the same regime. So it's definitely a little bit of a red flag. Um, with the 103, I'll move over to wide receiver and take CD Lamb. Um, he was my 103 before the season. What we've seen from him is so exciting. Uh, this offense is just, you know, putting up huge numbers in the passing game. We want pieces of this receiving game, and he gives us the most long term stable piece. Like he's 
he's already a guy that you want to get into your starting lineups in high stakes leagues. He's, you know, really strong play every week. He's 21 years old. I think, you know, with the type of season he looks like he's going to have um, next year will be probably the same lineup, but he's, you know, he has the ability to uh, continue to develop without a ton of defensive attention on him. I think he's just going to be very productive. And when you get a guy who's putting up this type of production at 21, 22, that's when you start to see guys going at that like one, two turn in dynasty startups. So I just think he has a lot. He, he's insulated in terms of trade value. He's going to be someone you're, you're excited to start every week. Uh, I, I'm really, really excited about CeeDee Lamb. Yeah, I thought that there was a two-man tier to start off with Edward Solaire and Taylor. And then I think that there's another two-man tier here, and they're both receivers. Um, and I'm going to go with Justin Jefferson. Um, Justin Jefferson, in a very short amount of time, has almost transformed the Vikings offense. He has 16 catches on the season. You know, he, he opened the season. He didn't even convincingly beat out Ola B.C. Johnson. And that was a little concerning, I think. But, man, the way he has played the past two weeks just added an entirely new dimension to the Vikings offense, 100-plus yards in back-to-back games. He's got 16 catches on the season. Eight have gone for 20-plus and 10 have gone for 17-plus. He was a slot receiver at LSU. And I remember thinking, this guy reminds me a lot of Michael Thomas at LSU, you know, maybe 90% version of Michael Thomas. But they have been playing him on the outside, and he's been winning. You know, he ran sub 4-5 at the combine, surprised a lot of people. I think he was 4-4-3. And now they are using him on the outside, and he's flourishing. And um, and if, if we're going to look for – and so now he's shown that he can dominate uh, at the highest level of college football in the slot. And – he has dominated the past two games on the outside. And if we're looking forward, you know, Adam Thielen is on the wrong side of 30. I think that a coaching change is probably imminent in Minnesota. That could be a good thing for Justin Jefferson if they get somebody in there more uh, innovative, younger uh, in the coaching staff. And I think that Justin Jefferson, I mean, I think by by midseason, potentially he could overtake Adam Thielen as the number one in Minnesota and certainly by uh, 2021. So far, I'm completely in line with your guys' picks. I had Jefferson four. And as Evan said, you know, I'm not someone who watches a lot of college football. You know, I rely on guys like Pat and, and some of these guys that, you know, looking to the prospects a bit more to sort of let me know what's up. And, and sort of the noise around Justin Jefferson was this is going to be a really safe pick because the slot production. And Evan hit the nail on the head he has dominated on the outside with really big plays thus far. So the combination of, we know he has that slot ability with he's got, he leads the league in the NFL in eight catches of 20 plus yards. And through his first four games over the last 10 years, he has the second most receiving yards of any receiver in their first four games, the last 10 years, second only to Stefan Diggs, ironically. So I love the Jefferson pick at four. I struggled there. I think, Jerry Judy, who I'm going to take at five, is in the tier with Jefferson. I'd actually have Lamb in his own tier, I think. And then Judy and Jefferson. Um, Jerry Judy uh, came into, you know, he's got the draft equity. Uh, we've seen the route running on display already for Denver. I know he had a couple drops, but the, the, his primetime game out of the gate, you know, he really looked explosive and like he could separate at the NFL level. And I'm trying not to overthink 
a situation where the team is bad. I know they're bad right now. They're ravaged with injuries. I know there's uncertain QB future, but ultimately I think the talent and the longevity of elite wide receivers and dynasty pushes me to have Jerry Judy here over, you know, some of the backs, which I think will probably start getting into the backs now um, after these three wide receivers go, but uh, I'll throw it to Pat. We'll see what he thinks about Judy and uh, who he's going to take at the one Oh six here. Yeah, Judy, I think, is a, a really nice pick there. I love the Jefferson pick, too. Um, Judy's interesting because he's been so banged up. So, like, when you look at his target share and stuff, it doesn't it doesn't pop as much as I think it would be if he was able to play full games because he's getting targeted on a really high rate of his routes, which yeah. I think in that case helps uh, take away some of the injury noise a little bit. Um, so excited about him. I'll, I will go over to running back. I'll go with DeAndre Swift here. Um I was a little bit concerned about Swift's fit with the Lions because he was, you know, this receiving back that we were all very excited about, really fits the modern NFL profile that we want. But the Lions weren't really thrown to the running backs last year. He has a 12% target share. He's getting four targets a game. I really like that. The problem, obviously, is that Adrian Peterson's involved here. Adrian Peterson, though, is 35 years old. He's he's not going to be there next year. And in some ways, I think what Adrian Peterson has done has actually increased the long-term value or the long-term outlook for Swift because he's sort of proven that Kerryon Johnson is not necessarily going to be someone who's going to come in, who is signed in 2021, who's going to really limit Swift's value. So I think that I'm actually feeling a little bit better about what the 2021 split might be with, with a Johnson-Swift. And you also have a situation where you could see a new coaching staff here as well, which I think would really help for Swift. So looking at kind of the the pieces that we have here that he's shown us already and then moving ahead a year to what this offense could look like, I'm pretty excited about Swift. He kind of profiles to me like someone in the Aaron Jones, Alvin Kamara type of mold. Those guys can be absolute league winners. He's the type of dude I think can easily be a first round type of redraft pick. So I'll go ahead and grab him. I like it. Um, I think I could go like one of seven ways. Yeah, this is where it gets tough, I feel like. Yeah. Um, But I'm going to go with J.K. Dobbins. Um, I think he's already shown that he's the best receiving back in Baltimore. He's getting freaking five touches a game, and it's been very, very frustrating to own any part of the Ravens' backfield so far. But, you know, again, this is dynasty, and we're not trying to be microscopic about four games here. Um, There's a lot of stability uh, with the Baltimore team uh and Lamar Jackson isn't going anywhere Harbaugh isn't going anywhere Greg Roman is I don't think he's going anywhere because it doesn't seem like NFL teams view him as a true like head coach like a leader of men type um he's kind of like soft-spoken he's like kind of like a nerd which hey I love that but uh you know teams don't see him I don't think NFL teams see him as like a head coach head coaching material um and uh, so I, I love the stability there. Marquise Brown isn't going anywhere. Mark Andrews isn't going anywhere. J.K. Dobbins isn't going anywhere. Mike uh, Mark Ingram definitely could be going somewhere. And Gus Edwards is, you know, still like I think a, a pretty good runner, but a replacement level running back in the league. Um, so I think that we see J.K. Dobbins blow up maybe later in the season, maybe not till 2021, uh, but that, that's going to be my pick here. It's also interesting when a team, an organization that's pretty savvy in terms of analytics usage 
they use a second round pick on a running back, which you wouldn't expect from that type of organization. To me, that indicates that they really, you know, they do find value in this position and this particular player, which makes me feel good uh, about the long-term role of the player. And then going back to the swift pick from Pat, it is a weird thing where, you know, someone at, at first glance might think that the usage this far has been a negative, but I agree. It's been a positive. If he can rack up a 12% target share, while Adrian Peterson dominates the snaps and they clearly hate Gary on Johnson, like it's wheels up when AP is gone. So uh, agree there. I did actually have Antonio Gibbs in one spot higher than JK Dobbins. I'm going to take him here. I think it gets tough, but you know, Antonio Gibson was super explosive player in college, tons of big plays, but you know, didn't get a lot of work as a pure rusher. And there was some concern and, you know, week one, some of those concerns seemed warranted when they gave the ball to Peyton Barber a lot. Everyone thought it was going to be the Antonio Gibson show with uh, Darius Geis being released. Uh, but since then, they've really shifted to Antonio Gibson. They've given him the goal line role. They're increasing his touches. They were finally manufacturing touches for him in the passing game. And again, I don't want to lean too much on the usage through four games. But for a player like Gibson, where we know the athleticism is there, the upside is there. I think seeing that usage is really important. Like it, it's important to have that tangible usage to point to because the concern there is whether or not a team is going to trust him, you know, to be a traditional running back. And it seems like Washington is willing to, and, and despite all the problems that they have offensively, uh, I, I like Gibson here. Yeah, I had Gibson right behind Dobbins and. For me, the, the factors that tilted me in favor of Dobbins was um, number one, uh, the the you know just the organization. I believe in the organization more um, than Washington, and um, the uh, uh, the draft capital uh, that, that Baltimore invested, as opposed to the draft capital that Washington invested in Antonio Gibson. But it, it was it was really close, and there's a big gap between the receiving projection. Uh, even in, in, a, in a Lamar Jackson offense um, versus what Antonio Gibson has shown that he can do. He had a big target share uh, at Memphis well, when, when, you know, even though he was limited in terms of um, his playing time. Uh, I think he had 33 catches at Memphis last year. And um, you know, his receiving production pr- projection is definitely superior to what Dobbins is, even in a great situation. Dobbins is so safe. I wonder if I'm overthinking yeah. the ceiling like through four weeks that like, are they just always going to want to use multiple backs a lot? I don't know. I've just been really surprised at the usage and that might be me overthinking the first four weeks, but I had them right here. I mean, we're, we're, we're splitting here, splitting hairs here in terms of the order. Um, so curious to, to hear Pat's thoughts on Dobbins and you know the long-term ceiling, obviously the efficiency potential playing next to Lamar Jackson's through the roof. Um, but but do you get the the amount of touches you need, and what what should we care about more in Dynasty? Um, because Dobbins is probably like one of the safest running backs to last um, in terms of longevity, like three four years out. You would think. Yeah, I would have taken Dobbins slightly ahead too. I think um, you know Ingram can be cut for five million dollars savings this off season, and so Dobbins might like the the amount that he needs to show to then see a huge boost in value of Ingram's not back, you know, is like he doesn't need to be a star uh, in year one to profile like a star heading into next season. And I have been a little bit disappointed with how much Gus Edwards has been involved. But the nice thing is that Dobbins is getting most of the receiving work that's there. It's Baltimore. There's not a ton of receiving work to go around, but he is getting the most of it. 
I think that's been a positive sign. On Gibson, I would say it's kind of interesting where, <clears throat> like with Dobbins and Swift, I'm hoping to see that receiving work. With Gibson, I know he can be the receiver. That's He, he was a receiver. He's a converted receiver. Yeah. So what I want to see is that he's getting like the goal line work like you're talking about. And now it's looking like, you know, as we head into this week, McKissick's going to be stealing a bunch of receiving work from him, but McKissick's not a long-term threat to that. So it's really like he is slowly developing into a potential workhorse. I think it's really exciting. Uh, I think both guys are really exciting. Um, I will, with my pick, it's a brand pick. I'm going to go with uh, LaVisca Chanel here. Um, (laughs) I don't know, maybe tell me if this was a reach, but I think that, you know, what we're seeing from Chanel, who second round pick, big wide receiver, versatile skill set. He is coming off an awesome game um, where he had an absurd uh, yards per route run almost at four. Um, He's still not running as many routes as I'd like. He's only running around a 57% of dropbacks, but he's getting targeted on over 20% of his routes. He's making plays like, you know, he just passes the eye test uh, more than I think almost anybody, but he's, uh, a, a big wide receiver that I think will have pretty good touchdown equity, um, partly because of size and partly because of the versatility that he brings. On the season, he has 1.95 yards per route run, playing really well. Um, I would like to see – I think he would probably benefit from a coaching change, at least an offensive coordinator change, because the Jaguars are running so slow. I think that's hurting him. But um, what we've you know seen from him so far – has really confirmed a lot of like the the bullish things I was thinking that he could be uh, as a as a wide receiver. He really looks like he's kind of fulfilling the hopes that I had for him in terms of the type of player I thought he could be. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because Chenault was the exact player that I was thinking of where when we in our minds sort of envision how something might turn out and then it happens exactly that way, you, you know, it just gives us I may sometimes maybe even too much confidence that we're right when maybe sometimes we could be a little bit lucky. <laughs> uh, I think about Josh Allen too, this season in redraft, you know, what's happening is almost exactly what Evan laid out <laughs> in the off season. And it makes you think that like, okay, this is really happening. It's because, because it's happening in such a specific way that was laid out. And that's you know, what we're seeing with Chenault with him being used in the run game and, you mentioned that he's big. I mean, I've been surprised. I'm not a team watch the tape guy, but he's had at least three or four plays where you've seen him, you know, take a hit and just bounce off a guy and keep going. And it's really, really been impressive. Yeah. Pat mentioned the eye test for LaVisca Chenault. I mean, this dude is, he's a freaking freak, man. (laughs) He's an absolute freak. Um, He's like so twitchy, like, and powerful. And, you mentioned the, the yards per route run, too. Um, I've looked at that for rookie receivers over, like, the past five, six years, and it's so predictive um, for, like, stars in the NFL that if you get up in that range right around two yards per route run as a rookie receiver, like, forget about it. Like, you're going to yeah. be an absolute stud. And you mentioned that LaVisca Chanel is right at 1.95. Hopefully he can get um, – he can maintain that or even get above two. Um, I think it's an aggressive pick, but – I think that there is just a massive tier here uh, where you could have gone any which way. Um, I guess I'm up next, right? Yeah. 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 <clears throat> Difficult. Um, I, I agree. I think this tier, we kind of got into this tier, right? I started the tier, I think, where it's just there's like seven yeah. guys here. 
Uh, I had Chenault 11, but so I don't think it was like a crazy reach, but I, I figured you for brand purposes would be the first <laughs> to get there. Yeah. Can't I'm going to go with Jalen Rager. Um, nice. Yeah. And I, I, you know, first year production does matter a lot in dynasty and we, you know, we we're not expecting him back until mid mid season. Um, but I think that these injuries are not things that he can't overcome. I mean, a thumb injury, the shoulder was a little worrisome, but I mean, he came back and played and made a big play uh, coming back from that. Deshaun Jackson's 33. Zach Ertz looks like he's all out of gas. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little optimistic on, on Zach Ertz, but he could also be uh, for the rest of the season just from his target projection. But he's also definitely a guy that could be gone after this year. Um, Alshon Jeffrey, I think, is definitely gone after this year. So the pathway for Jalen Rager um, is, I think, very, very clear. Um, he also is a guy that I think could give us some spikes in the second half of the year when he comes back healthy. I like that pick. I had uh, – so far we're going in the the exact opposite order of I had the next three. I had Chenault 11. I had Rager 10. So I get the guy I had at nine, which is Cam Akers. I know it's been a disappointing – Start to the year with the injury, he had the rib injury. He it sounds like he's going to return this week. And, uh, you know, there's some concerns when you, you start off your career with some health issues. And we also saw what's happened to Darrell Henderson last year, where, you know, he very quickly fell behind. And even this year, you know, he had a great game. And then we see him splitting with Malcolm Brown the next game. And, and it's been frustrating. But Cam Akers. You know, he had an 89th percentile college dominator rating, according to playerprofiler.com, 89th percentile speed score. You know, he, he's got the body size. He had a pretty good target share in college. So he ticks a lot of boxes. And you know, Sean McVay, who Adam Levitan likes to refer to as fake sharp, Sean McVay, uh, which I, I, I get at times, but he, did, he can scheme an offense. I mean, we're seeing what Jared Goff is doing in this offense this year. And um, they've been a better overall team than expected. And I think it's a team that's going to provide a lot of opportunities for fantasy points for the running backs. You just have to hope that, you know, acres can emerge out of the bunch. And I think long-term, you know, he is definitely the best bet to do that here. All right, man. I, there's so many guys that I could pick here. Um, but I'm going to go with a guy that I really liked in this range before the season and is coming back and looking awesome in, in the short uh, amount of time that we've been able to see him on the field in Brandon Ayuk. Um, Brandon Ayuk is just an incredible playmaker after the catch. He is a four-year college player, which is typically a little bit of a red flag. Actually, sometimes more than a little bit of a red flag. If we're taking these four-year college players, though, we want them to be highly productive. Ayuk was highly productive. And he's in the mold of guys who have been NFL stars as four-year college players like Demarius Thomas and that that type of pro, uh, profile. Big-bodied, great-after-the-catch type of wide receiver. And now we're seeing him being used in really creative ways in the San Francisco offense, which is part of the reason that I liked this fit. They traded up for him. He's a first-round wide receiver. Um, I think that he is a pretty safe pick. I also think that there's some upside here if he and Debo Samuel and, and Kittle, once they all get healthy, can take this offense to levels that it hasn't seen previously. So uh, Ayuk is a guy that I think we haven't seen as much as we have wanted to so far because he, he's he been struggling with injury. But, I mean, what we've seen 
when he's been on the field has been just magical at times. And he was another guy that in Rotoviz pointed this out like five, six years ago, uh, uh, receivers with uh, like excellent return production in college. Uh, that is like a really good indicator of future success. I mean, so many receivers that are studs in the NFL were awesome return men in college and Brandon Ayuk was an awesome return man. And that just translate. I mean, it's just an indication that, He's so good with the ball in his hands, and that's why you're seeing the rushing attempts. That's why you're seeing that 38-yard rushing touchdown last week. Kyle Shanahan isn't going anywhere. Um, I don't know. We'll see about Garoppolo. Kirk Cousins probably going to be the uh, 49ers uh, starting quarterback by you know 2022. <laughs> but um, I absolutely love Ayuk. So are, are we done? Like, is that it? Yeah. Uh, I've got five or six more guys. We can go I know, longer I think, if you want. Should we, should we keep it going? Yeah, we we got to go to 15 at least. Yeah, yeah sure. uh, I was okay. thinking that. There's, there's some, All some right. So, man, there are some good ones here. I'm going to go with T. Higgins, who I think has been the guy that has risen for me the most. Um, maybe it's like a mid to back end uh, second round dynasty rookie pick. To a guy that I think very, you know, had such a, has such a good case to be a first rounder at this point. We're seeing AJ Green fall off the cliff, and we're seeing the future of the Bengals' three receiver set with Joe Burrow, who has looked excellent. I think he gets better every game. He's thrown for three hundred plus yards and three straight now. Um, and T Higgins is going to be that long term outside uh, perimeter receiver with Tyler Boyd in the slot. Tyler Boyd is locked up long term, uh, but then T Higgins is going to be the, the playmaker on the outside. Um, he was not a guy that I loved coming out of college. I, you know, he was a, a deep threat at Clemson who ran like mid four fives. And I was like, you know, is that going to translate? Is that, you know, that, that winning trait, that, that vertical ability, that downfield ability, uh, going to, to translate with that speed, that mediocre speed. Uh, but I, I think that he's, you know, answered those questions to some extent. Burrow has not gotten into his groove as a downfield thrower so far, but T. Higgins is earning more and more each week. And I think that his upward trajectory, like I think that by the end of the season, he might be an every week wide receiver too already. We've seen, you know, week one, John Ross plays a bunch, plays a little bit week two. Now, you know, now he's not even active, healthy scratches. Um, T. Higgins' ascension up the depth chart has been – very quick and immediate there. Yeah. Uh, and then with the Ayuk pick, I, I did have him 12th round out my first round. I almost view, maybe it's a stupid comparison, but I view San Francisco receivers kind of like Baltimore running backs in terms of safety where yeah, I trust Shanahan so much to get these guys the ball in space. You know, they do some really, I mean, Debo had like legit fantasy value from rushing, you know, screen passes to these guys that it's hard for me to see them going really badly. Um, in that situation in San Francisco. So I like that. I will go, man, I love the way Chase Claypool has emerged so far, but I got to go James Robinson here. I'm, I'm finally going to pull the James Robinson trigger. Uh, I've been surprised at how much of a workload they've given him out of the gate. I know there hasn't been much competition with Zigbo uh, having injury issues, Armstead on the COVID list, but he is currently James Robinson is sixth in the NFL in carry share, seeing 69% of his team's carries. Uh, we're, he's also seen 10% of the team's targets, which is really good for a running back. And he's been productive. And 
you know, at, at the running back position where, you know, the shelf life, it's not necessarily super long. I'll take a chance that, you know, he's able to solidify this RB one role for Jacksonville for a couple of years. Um, so, so give me James Robinson at the uh, 202, I guess. And that sends the 203 to Pat. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, I was hoping Robinson would fall to me with the, the 15th. That's, that's a nice pick. I there. teased you by starting to talk about Claypool and then. Pick yeah. <laughs> I think I'll just take the falling value here. Um, not, not like um, a guy who was popular in some of the um, rookie drafts that I was in among like analysts and stuff, but was the first wide receiver drafted. So I'll go ahead and take Henry Ruggs. Ruggs was like pretty clearly before he's been, you know, really banged up so far, but they want him to be their number one guy. Like he's not going to be some um, just pure deep threat or like they're, they're trying to make this guy like an alpha wide receiver. Uh, He was, you know, it's Alabama. It's really hard to figure out like how much of his lack of production was due to the guys he was playing with. Jerry Judy, uh, a number of other first round level wide receivers and how much is actually like a legitimate red flag, but he's a a very high first round pick and he's got incredible speed and he's going to get a ton of opportunity to close out the season here. So kind of just feel like can't pass up the value. I'll take Henry Ruggs. I like it. He's definitely a value pick. I think after week one, he was like top five in the NFL and air yard share. Um, so and you know I think I I'm with you that I think they're going to try to get him the ball in the short passing game and throw him deep stuff. Um, Brian Edwards hasn't really shown us very much, and these injuries, the hamstring and the knee, they're short term stuff that you know really shouldn't bother us too much. Just mention, just going to mention three more guys before we get into quarterbacks a little bit, and um, that's Claypool, Josh Kelly, and Michael Pittman. Um, Michael Pittman, that this is another situation sort of like Jalen Rieger where. Everything I think is going to clear out real soon. I think that Jack Doyle is on his last legs. I think that T.Y. Hilton looks like he's on his last legs. Zach Pascal is, you know, a replacement level player. Um, and so I think that Michael Pittman could make a, a really quick ascension, uh, maybe in the back half of this year, uh, but likelier in 2021. And then um, Chase Claypool, like, where are these people that were saying that he should convert to tight end coming out of college? Like <laughs> turn in your fucking draft Twitter card. If you were saying that Vincent, that Vincent Jackson should play tight end in the NFL, because that's what Chase Claypool is. What an, an incredible talent wins on the outside. You know, Ben has looked good. Maybe Ben has a couple more years left in him. That could be good news. The the beat writers in Pittsburgh are convinced that Juju is gone after this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so that could open up a lot of targets for Chase Claypool. I'm I'm really excited about his future. Uh, wh- where are you guys at on, on Josh Kelly, though? I like Kelly a lot. I think it's been really exciting that he's gotten the goal line work um, or most of the goal line work ahead of, ahead of Eckler because um, Eckler was used a bit on the goal line in those games last year when Gordon was out. Um, so it's not like he, you know, was just definitely going to get past there. And then he's been used as a receiver in a way that I wasn't sure – what to make of him as a, you know, a guy, if he was going to get any receiving work at all. Um, We'll see here with, with how this split goes down with Jackson, but I'm definitely kind of on the Kelly side going forward. Uh, And I, I think he's surpassed my expectations um, pretty substantially as a prospect. So I'm, I'm excited about him. Yeah. Where would you have, let's say Kelly, Keyshawn Vaughn, Zach Moss. I kind of like Zach Moss was, 
in the role that we expected and hoped for, right? He caught catching a few passes and dominating the goal line touches for Buffalo before, you know, he missed the last two weeks with a toe injury. And, and I expect he'll be thrust right back into that role uh, as soon as he's active. If Zach Moss had been healthy and Devin Singletary had a toe issue for the last two weeks, I, I think that we could have Zach Moss, you know, up here around eight or nine, you know, the, the value in this backfield is pretty massive. And so I think he just, it's a little bit of bad luck for him that, you know, it, it does show that Devin Singletary, very capable running back, has a lot of value when Moss isn't around. But I think the same would be true of Moss. If he had this backfield to himself for a couple of weeks, we'd be way more excited about him. And he definitely would have been in the top 15. So I think he'd been, he would have been a great pick too. My concern with Moss is that Devin Singletary, I think, is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Josh Allen, Vulture's goal line touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do like Zach Moss. Uh, I'm surprised that Kareem didn't use the Keyshawn Vaughn mention as a jump off point to uh, <laughs> a little bit here on Rojo. Rojo night. Uh, who, who had a really nice week last week and um, yeah, still dropping passes, but uh, did have a he really nice week last that. week. And I mean, Leonard Fournette is, you know, he's year to year. LaShawn McCoy is probably done. Um, and then, I mean, but Keyshawn Vaughn, I think is in an interesting spot. Um, and he's got a, he's got an opportunity now to show the coaching staff to show Tom Brady that uh, you know that he deserves a role in this backfield. And he he made a nice play on that receiving score last week, gave them some punch in the passing game. Um, so, but yeah, you, you guys want to jump into quarterbacks? Yeah, yeah. Well, I do want to say uh, on yeah. Keyshawn Von Roca, I've been because you know how much I'm watching. I'm watching every freaking snap of this team, and <laughs> I just like, can someone get rid of Lashawn McCoy, please? I don't care yeah. who it is. It could be Lenny. Could be Keyshawn. So I'm just I'm happy that Keyshawn Vaughn is getting his chance because it means McCoy's not around. I don't think McCoy will be coming back. He let up. I think he's the only running back who's let up a sack so far. He's dropped a touchdown. He really has no business being out there. So I'm I'm excited about Keyshawn Vaughn. We uh, me and Pete Overzet and our high stakes team just spent like over 200 bucks of our fab in one of our main events to get him. We're gonna end up starting him tonight. So my Rojo uh, love can't blind me to the exciting prospect that Keyshawn Vaughn is. Yeah, and just for clarity, we're recording this before the Thursday night game. Uh, yeah. there. So, so if something crazy happens, we sound like idiots. Uh, that's why. Uh, as far as quarterbacks go, uh, PFF had a tweet about Joe Burrow and just how well he's graded out for them despite being basically under siege a whole bunch and having to pass a whole bunch. So it's been impressive that he's been able to hold his own despite being pressured a ton, despite playing in a lot of negative game scripts. So I think in a super flex startup, I would have him. God, it's still hard for me to, t- you know, maybe right after Swift. Maybe that's too late. I don't know. Maybe it should be earlier. What, what do you guys think? I think he goes above Swift and after Lamb and Jefferson. I think he's number okay. five. Yeah. And and what about Herbert? I mean, first of all, I think there might be a case to be made that Herbert is above Burrow. I, I would still go with Burrow. But I think that there is a case to be made for Herbert. Herbert's really athletic. Um, he's had three uh, – I, I thought he was really good in his first start. Took a little step back in his second start. Was awesome in his third start. And, man, he looks like he, he looks like he could be an absolute stud. He does. I mean, he was awesome in, against a really tough defense here. His schedule is awesome uh, during the fancy playoffs, and it's awesome here kind of in the mid part of the season – so you get kind of two stretches with Herbert where you're going to want to start him. He's a guy that um, 
we have an, a couple high stakes teams. Mike was making fun of me because we did this fantasy football world series draft last night and we took him over Deshaun Watson in that where you're just, it's just a four week stretch. Watson has a buy. So um, maybe a little bit exuberant on Herbert, but yeah, Herbert, he's got a little bit of rushing equity. Um, he is just absolutely bringing like pumping new life into Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry before Eckler went down, he was benefiting a lot. I think he's adding a lot of value to, the backfield because these running backs are getting more receptions than they would have with Taylor. So I'm loving what I'm seeing out of Herbert. He was just kind of weirdly discounted to me uh, in, in these super flex drafts. You know, he was going usually in like the eight, nine range. And I just think like my thing with these super flex quarterbacks is if they get drafted highly and they have rushing equity, we should, we should just kind of like not overthink it. Basically. Mm -hmm. I, I think we sometimes, you know, this happened with Daniel Jones. This happened with Herbert. I think it happened a bit with Josh Allen where you get, um, I think we got a little bit too into our own opinions of these guys, because the truth is they don't need to show that much before you can flip them for a profit. Like right now you can flip, you can flip Herbert for a profit right now. He's only yeah. played like three good games. Uh, Daniel Jones, you could do the same. So, I think it's one of the inefficiencies in Superflex is that these rookie quarterbacks, if they flash right away and you want to flip them, um, it's it's pretty easy to do so if you take the guy who gets discounted due to you know kind of the consensus idea of where he's valued. This this class is so exciting too because you know Herbert's ascending, but you know Tua and Jalen Hurts to me are almost buys right now. Where you know Carson Wentz looking brutal, and if you want to buy Jalen Hurts, you better do it before they make a switch there. And then Tua, of course, you know, just because you haven't heard anything there, but literally nothing's changed for Tua. Um, yeah, you know, the same spot. So just because things have been quiet around those two, you know, they're buys. You know, Jordan Love probably takes a hit with Aaron Rodgers playing out of his mind again. Um, and it hurts, you know. Plus, did you see those training camp videos of Jordan Love throwing the football? <laughs> yeah, I did. Breaking to the ground. <laughs> Yeah, Hertz was going just behind Jordan Love and looking at the Dynasty League football rookie ADP. And I think like very clearly you would be taking Hertz uh, ahead of Jordan Love now. Um, well, here's a theory. Those guys are buys. I don't know where exactly I'd slot them in, but they seem like their prices are deflated right now. I agree. Do you think that they, the uh, Green Bay um, you know, GM coach just kind of knew Rodgers well enough to say, we can help him more by drafting a quarterback that'll just get in his head. <laughs> He'll just go absolutely berserk. <laughs> It'll help yeah. him way more than a wide receiver. Imagine worse process than that. <laughs> it's worked so far, um, Evan. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it is. It, it has. I mean, Rogers looks incredible and you know, you're pulling away Devonte Adams, you're pulling away Alan Lazard and doesn't matter. He's making stars out of big Bob Tanyan and, you Baby know, Kittle. Has there been a team that was like such a fraud team the year before and then was so legitimately good the next yeah. year? Hats off to them. Good, good for them. I have one question. So Tua, who I mean, I, I loved, you know, coming out. I think most people did. Brian Flores says today or yesterday that Tua is not ready. And then we see Burrow and Herbert, they're ready. Um, does that concern you at all? Um, I, I like the pieces around him. Their offensive line has been um, a lot better than I think anybody expected. And they have a lot of young pieces. There are a lot of guys that are uh, locked up long-term. Devontae Parker's locked up long-term. Jasicki is under contract for a couple more years. Preston Williams, I mean, the 
Preston Williams can only do better than, than what he has done so far. So the, I think the pieces around him are pretty good. The offense has been good under Chan Gailey, or at least I think it's been better than expectation under the, under Chan Gailey. Does that worry you though? That or do you think that's just coach speak? I, I think it's I think coach it's, speak. Yeah, I think it's coach speak, and also you know mentioned Herbert being ready. They wouldn't be playing him if they didn't. If yeah. they didn't stab Anthony Linden, he was ready until today. Yeah, I mean, and he was clearly ready. So just because yeah. they're saying he's not ready, it, it, you know, doesn't mean they're not ready. Uh, obviously, you like to see it with Herbert, and I think Herbert versus Tua. You know, I don't know you do you you, you, like you guys said maybe you take Herbert over Burrow. I think Herbert's slotted in over Tua now because of what we've seen, and we know the rushing fantasy upsides there. I would take Herbert over Tua, but that's more of a a pro Herbert thing than I think it is a, a anti Tua thing. Yeah. I don't think Tua has lost really much value, but Herbert has gained a lot of value is, is where I stand on it. Um, all right. Have but I think anything with your in-depth tight end research, anything promising from this rookie tight end class, because I, I don't think I have. Uh, yeah. I, I will. I zero with Adam Troutman and one a GPP. That's about the most positive thing I can say about the rookie tight ends. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's been a disaster for uh, Cole Komet, who can't beat out Jimmy Graham. You know, it's been a disaster for uh, for Asiasi. But I do think that the one positive thing so far of this rookie class is Harrison Bryant, who's kind of quietly emerging a little bit in Cleveland. He's making life difficult for Austin Hooper. David Njoku, I think, is going to be back this week. So Harrison Bryant could – it's going to be hard for him to, like, deliver value. But uh, – he was involved even before Najoku went down. So he's a guy that I do think is is pretty interesting within the context of a rookie class that's just massively disappointing. Yeah. I was gonna say we might see some Albert O, but it sounds like this fan injury isn't quite as bad as it looked. They're also running uh Jake Butts running a lot of routes there, so I don't even know if Albert O will get involved. But yeah, all right, we are going to uh, end it there. This has been a ton of fun. Evan, thanks so much for coming on. This was just an absolute blast. Uh, Mike, thanks as always. Um, if you're enjoying the show, please rate and review. Uh, check out everything and establish the run, just essential content for whatever type of fantasy football you are playing. And uh, we'll see you guys next time.